What a joy to sing about Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. All are present here with us today, and we're so grateful. Katie, thank you for that solo, and please do give our greetings to Ryan. Tell him that we miss him and wish him well in his new work. This morning, I have a question for you, and I want you to think with me. What is the number one cause of growing love for Jesus? Now, this is all important, isn't it? Because Christianity is about a love relationship with Jesus. Uh, You know that at the last chapter of the Gospel of John, three different times Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? And it really is the central question. Uh, Being a Christian is not about following a religion but it is about loving a Savior. And when we get that right, everything else falls into place. Uh, Jesus said, whoever doesn't love me will not obey my commands. But He said, whoever does love me will obey my commands. If I love my wife, you won't have to tell me to treat her right. I will simply desire to do that. And if I do not love her, all the commands in the world will not make any difference. And as a Christian, it is growing love for Jesus that is the all-important issue. And by the way, isn't that what we all want? Don't we all want that growing love for Jesus? Now the answer to this question this morning is really a simple answer. But it's a surprising answer. In fact, the answer that Jesus gives is not the answer that I would have given. Uh, This morning, we return to looking at another one of Jesus' parables. In fact, it's the first parable that he ever gave in Luke chapter 7. And it's an interesting parable because it's a parable that occurs within a true story, an encounter that Jesus had with two people, a woman and a Pharisee. And this morning, what we're going to see is that this encounter is really a comparison. It's a comparison between this unnamed woman and this Pharisee. And out of this comparison, Jesus tells us a parable, and then he draws some very, very vital lessons. And so I want you to take your Bibles and let's turn together, shall we, to Luke chapter 7. Let's begin with the historical account and notice this comparison between these two people. Luke chapter 7, and follow along in your Bibles as I begin with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears 
and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him. For she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. Now sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words. And this picture helps us to set the scene and visualize the uh, interchange and the occurrence that took place. A Pharisee, who we learn was named Simon, invited Jesus to a meal in his home. Now, occasions like this were very common where traveling rabbis were entertained at banquets. Jesus had a growing reputation as a prophet, and so the religious leaders would have been very interested in him. Already we know from Luke's gospel that the Pharisees had opposed Jesus. And so at this banquet that day, the atmosphere would have been cordial, but it would also have been very skeptical. Simon was checking Jesus out for himself to see what the newcomer was like. Now, Jesus was reclined at a table, as was the normal custom, with his legs extended outward and backward. And all of a sudden, without any warning, the most shocking development occurred. Outsiders uh, could enter the open door of a festive occasion like this. Uh, They could sit along the wall watch the proceedings. In fact, when the meal was over, they could even beg for leftover scraps. So it was not surprising that there were bystanders who were watching this scene. But this bystander? She shocked everyone. And then her actions were even more brazen And Jesus' response to her was inexplicable. Uh, She came prepared with an expensive jar of perfume. Uh, Other Gospels tell us that this perfume was probably worth about a year's wages. So it was a tremendous, expensive perfume. And as she got up and began to move where Jesus' feet were, she became overwhelmed with emotion. and She began to weep. The word that is used here is the same words for rainfall. So this is a flood of tears. As she bends over the dusty, dirty feet of Jesus, the tears come down upon his feet, and instinctively... She unloosens the tresses of her hair and she begins to dry his feet. Now women never did this in public. It was considered indecent and disgraceful. 
In fact, later on in Jewish society, we know this could actually be grounds for divorce. And then she began to kiss Jesus' feet. She took the bottle of perfume that she had, broke the neck off, and began to pour it out, anointing his feet. What's interesting is the tenses of the verbs here are durative. What this means is it went on for some time. It was almost like a silent film unfolding before all of the guests as they watched her actions. Now, Simon was not only shocked at the woman, but he was equally dumbfounded at Jesus. A woman like this would have been considered unclean, and therefore, in Simon's mind, she would defile anyone who touched her, and so he drew two conclusions. Number one, a true prophet would have stopped her from touching him and acting in such a shameful way. Second conclusion he drew was Jesus must not have been a true prophet because he did not know this woman's reputation. Now I want you to drop down to verse 44 with me for just a moment. And I want you to notice that Jesus says to Simon, Do you see this woman? What Jesus means there is, do you understand what is going on? There is a comparison that is taking place. And so uh, that's what Jesus wants us to understand. Let's look, shall we, first of all, at the woman. Let's, Let's start with her. And what do we see in this story about her? Well, We see these three things. First of all, we see that she was a sinner. Three times over in this passage, verse 37, 39, and 47, we are told that she was a sinner. Now, many have concluded that she probably had been a prostitute, but we cannot say that for certain. What we do know is that her sin was moral. Possibly she had engaged in adultery. Maybe a family had been broken up as a result of the the adultery. It had become public, and now she had lost her reputation. Do you know what this was like in a small Jewish town in that day? She was stigmatized, despised, and had never been offered any hope of relief from her shameful condition. Second thing we know about her is that she loved Jesus very deeply. 1 Corinthians 11.15 says, A woman's hair is her glory. You ladies understand what that's all about. And she did not care at all. She was so grateful to Jesus and so devoted to him that she was willing to give to him her very best. No humbling, no gift was too great for what Jesus had done for her. The third thing we understand is Jesus had changed her life. 
It was very clear that Jesus had done this for her, and it's very important for us to see this. Uh, Look down at verse 48, and notice a little bit later in the encounter that Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Uh, That's very, very significant because the word are there is actually in the perfect tense in the original language. The perfect tense here refers to a past forgiveness, the results of which extend into the present time. Uh, Turn your finger back with me to Luke chapter 5 for just a moment. And I want you to notice what is very likely that this woman had heard about Jesus And how at a time in the past, she had responded to this, believed in Jesus, had become a believer in Him, had been forgiven, and now, because her life had been changed, she was worshiping Jesus. Look at verse 29 of of Luke 5. And Levi made for Jesus a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others, which other passages call sinners, reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Can you imagine what this must have meant for this woman when she heard this? This is the message that Jesus came. Verse 32, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. What a message. And apparently she had believed this message. She had been forgiven. Her life had been changed. And she was now worshiping Jesus. Let's look at Simon. What do we learn about Simon? We learn, first of all, that Simon was a self-righteous Pharisee. Turn ahead to Luke 18 and notice with me verses 9 to 12. And look what men like Simon thought about themselves. Luke 18 and verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. And this is how Simon would have thought about himself. Now the next thing we notice about him is he was clearly a non-believer. Because he concluded Jesus was not who he said he was. He could not be a true prophet of God. 
And then we recognize that Simon's life had never been changed. In fact, later on in the discussion, I want you to notice what Jesus said Simon had not done for him as a gracious host normally would do. Look down at verse 44. Jesus says to him, I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. In verse 45, he says, you gave me no kiss of of greeting and welcome. And in verse 46, he says to him, you did not anoint my head. Now, all of these were common courtesies. They were not required, but they showed respect, they showed honor, and they showed goodwill. The fact that Simon did none of them for the very Son of God who was in his presence showed the condition of his heart. It was unchanged. In fact, you know what we can say about Simon? Simon thought he was fine. He thought he needed no change. Do all of us see what is going on here today? These two characters represent two types of people. Did you notice there are two and not three? There are only two. And we are in one category or the other. This morning, all of us here today, we see ourselves in one of two ways. We are either in our own minds like Simon, or we are like this unnamed woman. By the way, why is she not named? The great Lutheran Bible student, Richard Lenski, said, here's the reason she's not named so that we will put down our names for hers. Isn't that exactly what's going on here? She is unnamed so that we will put down our names for hers, for only by doing that will we find the help that Jesus gave to her. Now, Jesus was the master. The master of taking situations like this and drawing out lessons for all time. Notice how he does that, starting with a parable and then some very pointed applications. Look with me again at verse 40, and and let's continue in the story. And Jesus answered, saying to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. By the way, how many know any bankers who respond this way to this kind of debt? Right? In those days, money lenders would lend out money at a fixed rate of interest. 
And no moneylender ever responded this way. And so notice, he canceled the debt of both of them. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Do you understand what is going on here? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. In this portion of the narrative, Jesus gives us some incredible lessons. They are at the very heart of what it means to be a Christian. In fact, they are the key to a growing love for our Savior. Let's spend a few moments together looking at them, all right? Here's the first one. There are no little sinners... Only big ones. Jesus told a parable. It's the first parable that he ever told. He told 38 of them. This is the very first one. He said there were two men who owed a debt they could not pay. One owed a debt of 50 denarius, about two months' wages. The other owed a debt of 500 denarius, about a year and a half wages. Notice the second man who owed the 500 owed 10 times as much. The key in this parable is verse 42 where Jesus says, Neither one could pay. Now, moneylenders in those days did not forgive debts like this. They threw the debtors into prison. And even though both men, one owed ten times as much as the other, both were subject to the same penalty. So imagine what that means. If they had gotten what they deserved and they had gone to jail they would have been in the same cells next to each other and neither one would have been let out. What this tells us is both were completely bankrupt and unable to pay the debt they owe. One of the great Puritan pastors and authors was John Owen. John Owen one day said this, He who has slight 
thoughts of sin. Never has great thoughts of God. That was Simon's problem. Simon categorized himself as a little sinner and the woman as a big sinner. And because of that, he had little thoughts of Jesus. By the way, it's easy for us to do that, isn't it? We all have our lists of sins. And we have the lists of the big sins, and then we have the lists of the little sins. And we assume if I am not on the big list, then somehow I am better than others. But whenever we do that in our minds, it shows that we do not understand the basic issue. The issue is not the amount of our sin. The issue is the nature of our sin. That's the issue. You see, all sin is disobedience to God. And disobedience to God makes us eternal debtors who cannot repay our debt. And this morning, there are no little sinners. There are only big ones. Second lesson Jesus draws from this. There is no partial forgiveness Only complete forgiveness. Notice in verse 42, in this parable, when the two debtors could not pay, Jesus said he canceled the debt of both of them. Now you need to fasten in on that word because it is a very, very critical word. Canceled there means to give as a gift. This word is a form of the word charis, which you know in our Bibles is the New Testament word for grace. Grace is receiving forgiveness as a gift. So what the Bible is teaching us is just as the two men's debts were completely canceled, so our forgiveness is also complete. Uh, Drop down to verse 50, because this is what Jesus meant when he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. What he is saying to her is she was in a state of forgiveness. Now follow that for just a moment. If she were only partially forgiven, then she would have had to have done something more to earn more forgiveness. If that were the case, then her forgiveness would not have been by faith in the free grace of Jesus. Can I say to you this morning how important this is? Some religions teach us that faith in Jesus' death gives us initial forgiveness. But then we have to add our meritorious works to what he did to earn more forgiveness. So in those systems, our salvation can never be complete. 
But I want you to notice that flies completely in the face of this parable that says their debts were canceled entirely. What Jesus was saying to this woman was she had been completely forgiven once for all of all of her sins as a gift of His grace and she was now in a state of forgiveness. Christians, let me ask this morning. Are we only partially forgiven? If we are, that is bondage. That is misery. Either we are fully forgiven, or there is no forgiveness at all. The only way for a life to know fullness of peace is to know that when Jesus forgives because of what He did at the cross, we are now in a state of forgiveness. And it has all been forgiven. There are no little sinners, only big ones. But when Jesus forgives big sinners, it is not a partial forgiveness. It is complete. Notice the third lesson. Consciousness of great forgiveness is what causes great love. We are now in a position to understand verse 47. Look at verse 47. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. The little conjunction for there states the proof of her forgiveness, not the cause. That is very critical for us to see. We could read the verse this way. Her many sins have been forgiven, for this can be seen in that she loved much. Her great love for Jesus flowed from her great forgiveness by Jesus, not the other way around. It wasn't that her great love for Jesus led to Jesus' great forgiveness of her, but it was the other way around. It was His great forgiveness of her that motivated the outpouring of her love for Him. Now we understand why the very last thing that Peter ever said to the church are these words. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.16 The last words Jesus ever said to the church. Grow in grace 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why would those be Peter's last words? Because the more that we learn about our great salvation and what Jesus Christ has done for us, the more we are compelled to love Him. It is the consciousness of great forgiveness that causes great love. Notice the final lesson. Consciousness of great forgiveness gives full peace. Turning to the woman, he says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The peace here is peace with God. What Jesus was saying to this woman is nothing more is now needed to secure God's acceptance. She could now go on her way knowing that there was nothing else that had to happen for her relationship with God to be changed and for her to become a child of God, it had all been accomplished. And the greatness of her forgiveness now created in her full In my former church, there was a woman who had a very dark past. As far as I know, Ellen and I were the only ones who knew about it. One day she said to me, told me the story. She said, Pastor, you can tell Ellen. It's okay if she knows. When she was a young woman, she had an adulterous affair with a married man. She became pregnant. Scared and with no one to turn to, she aborted the baby. How precious was the gospel to her. She trusted Jesus, was wonderfully saved. And she began coming to our church when I was the pastor. She was also handicapped. She had a congenital birth defect in which she had no knees. Before we had an elevator in our church, to get anywhere in our church, you had to navigate six or seven steps. She wanted no one to take pity upon her. She wanted to be independent, as many handicapped people do. Every Sunday morning, we would watch her 
And she came into our church. On each step, dragging one foot, and then the next. One foot, and then the next. One foot, and then the next. She would drag herself into our church. Then she would drag herself back out. Sunday night, the same thing. Drag one foot up, then the next. Wednesday night at our Awana program, the same thing. Drag one foot up, then the next, then drag back out. Nothing could keep her from worshiping Jesus and serving Jesus' children. Whoever is forgiven little loves little. Whoever is forgiven much loves much. And that is always and ever the secret of a growing love for Jesus. Let's pray together. Just before we sing, and our thoughts are taken elsewhere, first of all, which category are you in? Are you this unnamed woman? Or are you like Simon? who has very little thoughts of Jesus because you think you're pretty good. And we are only in one category or the other. There's not a third option. We either come to Him like this woman, acknowledging that we are big sinners, not little sinners. And casting ourselves upon Him for His grace. Or we will never come at all. And this morning, if that's you, please look at yourself. It's not the quantity of your sin. It's the nature of your sin that offends God. You cannot repay that debt. But God loved you so much, He sent His Son to pay the debt for you. And He will cancel all of your sins so that you are brought into a state of forgiveness.
if in faith you will trust what he has done. Do that today. And then Christian, is your heart cold? Has it grown indifferent? Over the years of my life, I've heard so many sad excuses from Christians as to why they don't live for the Lord and serve Him. And all I can conclude sometimes is they must not love Jesus very much. They must not be grateful for how much He has done for them. And today, let our hearts be humbled. Let our gratefulness be overwhelmed. And let us grow in love for Jesus because we have learned well how great is our salvation. Oh, gracious God, work in people's hearts today. Draw proud, self-righteous sinners to Yourself. And Lord, help our walk with You to be passionate, Lord, may our relationship with Jesus not be dry-eyed. May it not just be an intellectual knowledge game that leaves our hearts small, may We truly, with mind and heart, love you supremely for the greatness of your salvation. Start with me, Lord. Help me to do the things I do because I love the Savior, so deeply. We thank you, blessed Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.